Well, good morning, Christ City. Uh, we're continuing on our series this morning, looking at the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And in our series, it's been said a few times, we, we started high in the glories of his pre-existence, and we've come from those heights through his incarnation and into his life and down into the depths of looking at the death uh, of Jesus on the cross. And then last week, we began coming out uh, and ascending again into the heights of who Jesus is through his resurrection. And now today, as we look at his ascension and his exaltation. Today, we're looking at the ascension of Jesus. And if you've never heard a sermon on the ascension of Jesus, I'm sure you are not alone. It's not something that, that we often talk about, especially in our evangelical churches today. Although if you Google Ascension Church, as I did this week, you'll see that there are a couple Catholic churches uh, within a few hundred kilometers of us that are titled uh, Ascension Church or have Ascension in their name. But in the evangelical church, we've not focused a lot of our attention uh, on the ascension. We focused it elsewhere. We focused it, for good reason, I think, on the cross of Christ. After all, Paul said that he resolved to know nothing while he's with the Corinthian church, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And yet, even though that's the case, our salvation depends not just on the crucifixion. Our salvation, Christ said, depends on all of Jesus on the entirety of who he is and the entirety of all that he has done. The whole of our salvation is the whole of Christ. His pre-existence, his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, and even his ascension are all essential for our salvation. So this morning, we're going to look at it. This morning, we're going to jump into the ascension. And as we do so, we're just going to have two simple parts. First, we're going to look briefly just at what it is. What is the ascension? And then second, we'll take the rest of the message to unpack what it means and why it's important for us as Christians. So jump in with me right away at our first point. What is the ascension? Well, we'll look at it in Luke chapter 24, verse 50 to 53. And this text, along with Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 9 to 11, they're really the essential uh, sort of first-person pers accounts of what happened at Jesus' ascension in the Bible. They're really the descriptions of what happened uh, at the ascension. So look with me at the, the passage in Luke. And Luke records this. He says, And he, Jesus, he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So that's it. That, that's the ascension of Jesus Christ. He left his disciples after he was resurrected. He took them to this place outside of Bethany. And then he ascended back to the Father. It seems pretty simple when we look at the narrative of it. And it is quite simple. And perhaps uh, this is why the evangelical church hasn't paid too much attention to it. And yet, when you zoom out and consider the ascension in greater depth, there is a lot that's going on here. For example, just consider this one thing. The ascension shows us that the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God becoming human, it shows us that that wasn't an impermanent event, but that it was an eternal event. 
Because Jesus ascended to the Father in spirit as a resurrected human being. Still fully God, but also still fully man. And that's incredible. (laughs) That means that the human hands, the human hands of Jesus with the, the human scars that he received on a cross outside of Jerusalem around the early 30s AD, they'll be the same hands that wipe away your tears when you finally stand before Jesus face to face. It means that because of the ascension for the first time in history, a human being was brought into the fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit to dwell with them forever. And these things about the ascension, this just brief description of what the ascension is, it matters incredibly. So after just that brief point, we could maybe call that an extended, illustri- uh, extended introduction even, it was so short. We're going to jump in now to look at why it matters and look at the rest, uh, spend the rest of our time looking at why the ascension matters. So these few things that I said, they're fundamentally important to our faith, and I'm going to show you why. Why is it important? Well, it's important because over 75 times in the New Testament, our salvation is described as being in Christ. And I I know I've said that before in, in other sermons, but I want to give you an illustration of what I'm talking about this morning. And my illustration is from the Bible. In the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, there's a story about twin brothers. And the story goes and describes the way that the younger twin, how he received the blessing from his blind father that belonged to his older brother. And the story goes that Jacob, the younger brother, he came to his father clothed like his brother Esau, smelling like Esau, even covered in animal hair on his arms so that he would feel like his hairy older brother. And because he was clothed with his brother, he received from his father the blessing, the inheritance blessing that belonged only to the eldest son in those ancient cultures. And in a similar way, all of our salvation comes to us, Christ City, because we are clothed with our older brother, clothed with Jesus Christ. Our salvation is in Christ. We are in him. But the difference between us being in Jesus and Jacob clothing himself to look like uh, his older brother was the way that are, is the fact that we're not in this to deceive a blind God. No, but that God in his grace and his kindness to us that he's provided a new humanity for us, that he himself has chosen in his mercy and his grace to clothe us in the humanity of Jesus. We are united with Jesus so that all that he has accomplished, so that all the blessings in life that Jesus receives, all the rule, all the dominion, all the fellowship with God and perfect love that Jesus alone has earned and enjoys become ours because we are in him, including the blessings of Jesus' ascension. So what are those blessings? Well, as I was studying the ascension this week, I was blown away uh, by how much there really is in the ascension. I was just following thread after thread and going down rabbit hole after rabbit hole in the Bible of all that the ascension means. There's a lot here, far more than I can put in this sermon. 
But I want to show you at least two of the significant blessings that come to us because of Jesus' ascension. Because of the ascension, number one, humanity is finally brought home. And because of the ascension, number two, God's rule is restored through humanity over this earth. So let me unpack this starting with that first point. First, the ascension is good news because Jesus finally brings us home because of it. You see, apart from Jesus, we could never be reconciled into the intimate relationship with God that we were made for. Apart from Jesus, we could never be brought into fellowship with God like we were made for. Psalm 24, verses 3 to 5 say, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, and who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. In this psalm, in these verses, they describe a righteous person who can walk into God's presence to be received by God, to know the blessings of being near to God. But the reality is, as the Bible's teaching goes on and and we read the whole scope of what the, the scriptures say, we realize that because of our sin, we don't qualify. Because of our sin, we fall so short of Psalm 24 and other places that talk similarly. And we cannot enter into God's presence and we cannot ascend his holy hill. We're separated from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says it really clearly and plainly. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Because of your sin, you can't be in the presence of God. The relationship's broken. But it wasn't always this way. At the very beginning of our human existence, our life, as described in Scripture, it was an idyllic life. We lived in a garden paradise. Didn't even have to wear clothes. And uh, several of us maybe said amen. Uh, And we were there with the presence of God. With us, around us, uh, living and walking with him, knowing the sweetness of his love. Knowing the joy of his eternal comfort and peace. Knowing his infinite blessedness and goodness dwelling with us. That's what Adam and Eve enjoyed in this garden paradise. But famously, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God and they turned away from his love and they were separated from God as a result. Actually, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, uh, the author describes, Moses describes a picture uh, or describes what happens where the angel comes and stands in the gateway to the garden uh, with a flaming sword, keeping humanity away from the presence of God. The separation is complete and we will never go back that way. We've been cast out ever since. In Christ City, I I want you to understand that as the Bible describes it, we have no greater problem than this. Christ City, more than any other problem that we have in our lives or that we think about in this world or that we try to solve uh, through the various ways that we try to solve it, our fundamental problem, the Bible teaches, is that we are separated from God because of our sin. That is the baseline fundamental problem that we face as human beings. And all that we long for and all the joy 
that we just taste and anticipate and hope might be around the next corner in our life. All of our drive to find fulfillment and satisfaction is really the drive to be back with God. It's the drive to be found again in God's presence, to be fulfilled in relationship with him. So with this context in mind, when you hear the words of Psalm 24, verses 3 to 5, they're heartbreaking words. The words of longing and words of sorrow. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will come into the presence of God? Who will bring all of us back to God? Who is the obedient son, the obedient human being who can earn the Father's pleasure? It's Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect human life necessary to ascend the hill of the Lord. And after he was resurrected, Jesus did ascend. Jesus, after seemingly endless years of human separation for millennia and millennia and millennia apart from God, Jesus, in his full humanity, was welcomed into the arms of God, into the presence of his Father. And the good news is that because of Jesus, we can ascend to because we are in him. Mark Jones writes beautifully about this, and he says this, Jesus did not rise from the dead alone. He did not ascend alone. And he does not sit in glory alone. No. He took with him into glory all his people upon his breast. Listen, Christ City, if Jesus died for your sins, if he was resurrected to new life, and if he did not ascend, you could not be reconciled to God. But because Jesus ascended, because human flesh was brought back into fellowship with Father and Son and Spirit, God the Father now stands with arms wide open, welcoming prodigal humanity back to him through Jesus. And in fact, the burden of Jesus' heart while he was on earth was for this to happen. The burden of his heart, his longing was to bring sinful humanity separated from God to bring us back into the presence of the Father. We read this in John chapter 17, verse 23, when Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. See, Jesus longs for sinful, broken humans like us to be reconciled into intimate relationship in God's presence with him. That's what he came to accomplish. It's the beauty of what he's come to do. 
I want to show you another text. Listen to Jesus and his heart and his love for you in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. See, in Jesus, we who were far off because of our sin have been brought near into the presence of God. In Jesus, you and I who had no home are brought home into the home of God. And of course, we could ask, how? How is this the case? Uh, Brand, I don't know if you realize this, but I'm sitting in my living room uh, watching this message, and I'm not exactly home with God. Clearly, I'm not literally living in heaven right now. Sure, that's the case, and I would say further, if you think that you are living in heaven right now, that probably you should keep that to yourself, or you're going to end up risking spending the rest of your life in a mental health unit somewhere. The reality is that because of Jesus' ascension, we are brought home now by being joined to God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Christ City, this is the miracle of our faith. It's not just an intellectual assent to something. The miracle of our faith is that as we trust in faith in Jesus, we're joined to him and that God brings us into fellowship with himself by pouring his Holy Spirit into our hearts. The love of God, Romans 5 verse 5 said, is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We are brought into this sweet and this deep fellowship with God in our day-to-day lives as Christians. And yet even the joy of knowing to walk with the Spirit, of learning what it means to have fellowship with God right now, even in an imperfect way, even that joy pales in comparison to what is future. It's just the beginning See, the illustration the Bible uses of what I'm talking about is that we are engaged to Jesus now by the presence of his Holy Spirit. But the Bible speaks not just of engagement, but of marriage. One day soon, we will be united to him. That's what John chapter 14 is talking about when Jesus says, I will take you home to be where I am. Today, we have all the joy of this engagement with Jesus. But with it, we also have the bittersweet longing of wanting more of him. Jesus, I know your presence by the Holy Spirit, but I long for more. And our hearts fill up with longing as we look forward to seeing him face to face. See, Peter describes this as he writes to the ancient church in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He describes it happening in the hearts of the people he's writing to. He says, though you have not seen him, that's Jesus, You love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. See, these people, they'd entered into the presence of God through Jesus by his Holy Spirit. They loved Christ, but they longed for more of Jesus. They longed for the fullness of his salvation. And my question for you this morning is, do you? Have you tasted and seen that God is good? 
Have you entered into his presence to see that at his right hand are pleasures evermore? That in his presence is fullness of joy. Have you come to know by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life that the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life? Christ City, the good news of the ascension is that Jesus brings us home to be with God. So pursue him. Seek him. Let me encourage you. Be like Jacob. Back in Genesis, Jacob, he wrestled with the angel of God and said, I won't let go until you bless me. Pursue God like that. Seek him early in the morning and late at night. Pursue him with all of your heart until you know his presence. The second thing that is good news for us about the ascension is that through the ascension, God's rule is restored through humanity. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. You see, when, when God first made us, he told the man and the woman, he said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion. There's a rule language all throughout this passage. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, God's intention for us when he made us was that we would rule in this world. That we would multiply literally, increasing the population, filling this earth, but filling it with not just a rule as we think of it, but a rule of love. The rule of the character of God and his own justice and his own righteousness. So that in a manner of speaking, as we increase in this world, it was as if God was filling up the world with his own presence. This is an incredibly high calling. David marvels at this calling in Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 to 6. He says there, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? As you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And Christ City, I realize that we balk at the language of dominion today. It's not something that we uh, are really cozy with. But we don't like that language, the language of rule and dominion, because we've seen sinful dominion. We know that sin destroys good rule. We see it. The thing is, we often see the sinful way that, that uh, rule is made or that rule happens in this world, and then we come up with a different solution. We say, well, maybe then the solution is anarchy. Maybe we shouldn't have any rule at all that rules the actual problem. But that's not the case. Rule is not the problem. And no more rule is not the solution. The solution is that we would have faithful, steadfast, loving, just, and righteous rule in place of the wickedness that is in this world instead. So the problem is a sin that dwells inside of you and me. And because of that sin, we constantly are undermining our own flourishing as human beings as we exert rule in a sinful way and in an oppressive way. And I also need to say this. It's not just prime ministers and policemen that we can point to and say, hey, look, I see the way that they've corrupted the authority in their lives and are using it in a way that actually cuts against human flourishing rather than increasing it. 
It's not just them. You do this too. You do it in your relationships. You do it in your job. You do it in your marriages. As you take the authority, whatever little bit that you have, and you use it, not in a righteous way, but in a sinful way that hurts those around you. How did all this go so wrong? The calling was very high, wasn't it? But it's not worked out that way. Well, it went wrong because our first parents sinned, Adam and Eve. And because of them, humanity fell into sin. And now wherever we go exerting our rule, we do this exertion of rule in this flawed and sinful way, not in the way that God intended. And yet, throughout the story of humanity, throughout our history, God was working and God was promising to make things right, to restore humanity to good and to righteous rule under the reign of the king that he promised was coming, under the reign of the Messiah. And he came. The Prince of Peace was born. Jesus lived a perfect human life. He became a, he became a king who would even die for his subjects rather than oppress them. And after his resurrection as a human being, this king, this human king Jesus, he ascended in victory to the right hand of the Father in glory and honor and majesty and dominion. And when Paul describes the ascension in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 to 23, he describes this resurrected human king Jesus in this way, how he was raised from death and exalted far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, God's intention for humanity to fill this earth and subdue it, it's finally fulfilled. It's finally restored when Jesus Christ, the resurrected human person, when he ascends to heaven to reign at the right hand of God over his church and over this world. Look at the beautiful way that Michael Reeves talks about this. The theologian Michael Reeves writes, The son of Mary the adopted son of a carpenter, sits now on the throne of the universe. The victory he won on the cross is now paraded for all to see. He has disarmed the power of evil and a man now stands, no longer a victim to the serpent's wiles, but a true king, utterly victorious. When the first Adam was created, he was told, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. But when Christ ascended, he ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe with his life, his offspring, and his glory. Because of Jesus' ascension, a human being rules rightly over this world. And a human being Jesus Christ is expanding the felt presence of his reign through his church by the power of his Holy Spirit and he will one day return to make all things right and to, to claim his rule over this earth. 
So what does this all mean for us? Well, here are a couple of thoughts as we conclude. Well, first off, let's be honest. You want to rule, and I want to rule. We live our lives wanting to be in charge, wanting to rule. I do this all the time. Almost every moment of my day is, is me looking for ways for me to live my life my way with me in charge. I want to pursue what I want, the way I want, and when I want it. I want control over my agenda, over my schedule. I want control over the way I spend my time. I want control and rule in order to uh, decide what will fulfill me. Give me that autonomy and independence to choose what I want to fulfill me so that I can pursue it when I want it. We want to rule. But Christ City, the ascension of Jesus teaches us that it is only being ruled by Jesus. It's only being ruled by Jesus that will ultimately fulfill our purpose as human beings. The desires of our ambitious hearts will only be fulfilled as we learn to be ruled by Christ. You see, it's not that our ambition as human beings is too great. Rather, our ambition as human beings is far too small. The path to flourishing as humankind and to fulfilling our purpose is the path of being conquered by Christ. And the good news of the gospel is that out of his love for you, he offers you a way back to himself. He offers you a pathway to finding the fulfillment of your purpose by joining him in his mission, by submitting to him in his reign as he extends his rule through this world, through his church. So that leads to a practical question, I think. If that's the case, then how can we join with Jesus in his rule? Christ City, we join with Jesus in his rule first by dying to ourselves. By dying for ourselves and living for him. By turning away from the things in our lives that, that we are seeking to live for, to die to those and to come alive instead to what the scriptures teach about our lives and about who Jesus is, about how we can live our lives by his spirit with him. We can join Jesus by being filled with his spirit as we learn to walk by the power of his spirit in his love, extending the life of Christ that's filling us to others, loving and caring for and serving those around us because of the great love that we've received from God as we've been changed by it. So in light of Jesus' ascension, I want you to ask yourself this. We need to ask ourselves, where are our lives out of sync with this king? Where are we not ruled by the Bible and by the power of the Holy Spirit? Maybe we don't even read the Bible. Maybe we're trying to squish the Bible into the margins of our lives versus having it fill us. Having the truth of Scripture become the truth of our lives as we submit more and more by the power of the Spirit to the reality of God and His truth. Where are we living for ourselves versus living for Jesus? Where are we trying to build our homes? Where are we trying to find peace and fulfillment? In Jesus and the certainty of his ascension and his eternal rule? 
or in this world which is fading away? Where are we seeking rest? In Jesus or in somewhere else? Christ City, God loves to forgive us when we repent. When we turn towards him in faith. But repentance is a zero-sum game. To choose Jesus, to choose to be united to him in his ascension, in his rule, and in his reign, we must say no to so many other things in our lives. That's where dying to self comes in. But in saying no to ourselves and yes to Jesus, that's the pathway to life and to flourishing in him. So who will you choose today?